<laughs> I, uh, I love good cheesy stuff, you know? I mean, that was cheesy right there. Jeez, oh, Pete. Well, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And thanks to Brandon Summers and his wife, Henrisa. They are just fantastic parts of our church. And you guys may not realize this, but he cooks, I think, once a month for our cafe. He brings in, like, banana bites and stuff. So if you have that... You've eaten some of his uh, cooking here in our cafe. Well, welcome. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you. And just for a second, I want to actually talk to the people that are watching online just for a second. We've been talking in this series. This is the wrap-up of this series, the not-so-secret sauce, the secrets to the fullness of life. And we've been talking about the words that Peter actually shared that are some important supplements to our, our faith. And it comes from a passage of scripture that starts with supplement your faith, supplement your faith. After you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, supplement your faith. And so I just want to talk to you guys who are watching online for just a minute. Online services are fantastic. I love that we do online services. It's a great supplement to our faith. In fact, I watch about two or three different sermons from different pastors every single week for my own uh, spiritual growth and development, and my own faith, and to, get, to become a better communicator as well. So I do that all the time. But those are supplements. Those are supplements in my walk. Online sermons are not meant to be a replacement or your main diet. Uh, you need to be in community with the body of Christ. You need to be with people that have skin on. It's really important. So if you're watching online uh, because you physically can't attend church, I get that. That's only, totally understandable, and that's one of the main reasons why we do it. And if you're traveling, if you're on vacation, you're part of our church, that's a great way for you to stay connected. Or for those people, uh, for those of you who, you know, you like to go north uh, in the cooler weather for the summer, although I'm not sure it's much cooler where you're at right now, uh, it's a great, fantastic supplement. But if you're watching... If you're watching online outside of the demographic area in Venice and the surrounding areas, I really want to encourage you to find a local church where you can attend and be involved in. Nothing, nothing, and this goes for all of us in here, nothing can actually replace of being present with other Christians on our journey of faith. It is so important. And so I just want to say, if you need help finding a church in your area, you know, we're pro-church here. We love the local churches. And if you are looking, for, if you're watching and you haven't found a local church, send us an email. We have connections all across the country with like-minded churches like ours, and we would love to kind of give you some advice as best we can to find some like-minded uh, churches in your area. So I just wanted to say that real quick to our folks that are watching online. All right, let's get to the message. The rest of that scripture is that we've kind of had as a foundational piece uh, for this series is supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more that we grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, today, we are adding in the last ingredient to our recipe for a more productive life and following after Christ, and that is love. Now, the English language, you know, I, I'm from Kentucky. I try to mention that every week or so. Uh, I'm still struggling with the English language a little bit. Uh, how many of you guys in here speak more than one language? 
You speak more than one language? Yeah? Okay, handful of you speak more than one language. That's good. And for those of anybody that English is your second language, not your first language, second language, English is your second language, okay? And congratulations, because English is a challenge. It is a challenging language. I mean, take, for instance, this word, uh, W-O-M-B is pronounced womb, right? We sang that in a song, actually, earlier today. W-O-M-B, womb. Well, you would think C-O-M-B would be coom, but no, it's comb. To make matters even worse, you got B-O-M-B, which you would think it would be boom or boom, but it's bomb. I mean, it's just like so confusing, right? Then you've got, what, what's the next one? Is it lead, lead, and lead? They all have different meanings. And then there's tear, tear, and tear. I mean, like, if you're learning English language, it's, and then I was thinking about this one. This is not on the screen. I thought about this one earlier. If you're going fishing for bass, it's B-A-S-S, or if you're a bass player, it's B-A-S-S. So it's just, it can be so confusing. And then even with that, there's the inflection, uh, you know, like, like here's an inflection um, challenge that we have in the English language. It's like, I never said she stole the money, right? So I never said she stole the money. But it all depends on how you say it. Like, I never said she stole the money, or I never said she stole the money, or I never said she stole the money, I never said she stole the money, or I never said she stole the money. So, you know, it just all depends on how you, how you go about it, how you read it. It's all about inflection. English is a challenging, challenging language. Sometimes we have way too many words to describe something, and then sometimes uh, we don't have enough words to describe something. And love is one of those words, for instance. Love is one of those words. Because we use the same word, love, to describe um, a pizza. I try to mention pizza in every message, too. You know? we, try to, we use the same word for, I love this pizza. Or I love these new tires on my car. Or I love this new dress. Or, you know, and we use that word love to describe those things in our, in our life with the same word to use for the most intimate of relationships. I love my wife, Michelle. You know, by the way, thank you guys for honoring her that way. That was just so awesome. I really appreciate you guys. But we use that same word for the most intimate in relationships uh, for our spouses as we do for a pizza or new tires on our car or a new golf club or whatever it is, you know. And even God, we use that. Oh, I love you, God. We sang that just now. I love you, God. I love you, God. And it's great. But we're using the same word to describe how we feel about the creator of the universe that gave us the opportunity to have life. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Now, other languages, other languages have uh, multiple words for what we have the one word love for, especially, and particularly for today, we're talking about the Greek. There's a Greek uh, has different words and Hebrew as well. There's about, there's about seven different words in the Greek language for love, um, four are the most common. So I want to give you those uh, first, and these are the kind of the first four most common used Greek words for love. We'll start out with the first one that's kind of a, you know, va-va-voom word here. Uh, this eros, all right, eros. And that means, you know, that's sexual intimacy. That's where the word erotic comes from or erotica, and it is about sexual uh, intimacy love. It's the kind of love that God wanted to be demonstrated in a holy covenant monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. Of course, we've perverted that form of love ever since the beginning of time, right? 
Uh, and then the, the second one is storage, storage. This is familial love. This is the parent to a child, a child to a parent. This is family love in general. Uh, that's the second one that's most used in, in Greek. Uh, and then the third one, anybody from Philadelphia? Anybody from Philadelphia? Raise your hand. You got, you're not proud of it? No, no. Couple. What is it? What is it called? The city of brotherly love, right? Is there a lot of brotherly love going on in Philadelphia? <laughs> you know, but that comes from the Greek word uh, phileo or phileia. It depends on whether you're from South Greece or Northern Greece. Anyway, that's kind of a joke that really fell flat. Um, <laughs> I don't exactly know how to pronounce this one the best way. Pastor Phil probably could shout that out for me. Uh, what, how do you say it? Phileo. 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 Yeah, he's from north, the north. Anyway, so, um, but this is, this is brotherly friendship and affection. It is the love of, of deep, deep friendship and partnership. And it might even be described as the highest love that a human can possess without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Is that, that's kind of that love. But the fourth love is the deepest love of all, and that's the one we want to talk about, and that's the one that Paul's writing to us about. That's the one that Peter's writing to us about in this, in this passage, and that's agape, agape love. And this is an unconditional love. It is the highest form of love in existence. In fact, some would say that it isn't even possible to truly achieve that for humans on this side of heaven to achieve agape love perfectly. It is, uh, agape love is a love without changing. It's a love without changing. I have heard some, so many times when I've done uh, marital counseling and stuff where I'll hear somebody say, well, I've just fallen out of love with her or I've fallen out of love with him. Well, agape love doesn't do that. Agape love never, ever changes. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. Agape love is so great uh, that it can even be given to the unlovable. Agape love is even given to our enemies. And it is a love even when it is rejected. It's the kind of love that happens even when you are rejected. It's this kind of love here. This is, this is powerful. It's the love that God has for you even if you have decided not to love God yet. It's the love that God has for you even if you haven't decided to love him yet. Agape love, it gives and, and loves because, because it wants to. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive something. Now, we've kind of got the opposite of that down in our lives. You know, I'm going to love you as long as I get what I want or as long as I get what I need. But agape love loves unconditionally. I thought about this question, and this might sound weird to you, but I've just kind of thought about this question. Would you love God? Would you follow Jesus Christ? Would you still be engaged with the church even if heaven didn't exist? I've thought about that. I've thought about that a lot. Now, we've got the promise of heaven, and we know the assurance that we've got of that. But would you? If heaven didn't exist, would you still love God? Would you still follow Christ? And I ask myself that question, and my answer is an unequivocally yes. Yes, I would. And I think the best description of agape love is sacrificial love. 
It's a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that we talk about every single week. It's like what Mike was talking about when he was leading us in communion. Every week we talk about this sacrificial agape love in communion. It's the kind of love that has less to do with emotions because that's we've got that part down pretty well with our love, and, 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 uh, and it's more to do with self-denial for the sake of another. So what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul about love. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. Now, you know, I love to give backgrounds of things before we read something. And I want to talk about Corinth for a second. This is the city where Paul started a church. And man, what a tough, tough city to start a church in. Corinth had to be one of the toughest cities during this time to start a new church. I don't even know what the equivalent of Corinth would be today. I don't think Las Vegas would touch it. I've never been to Amsterdam in the red light district, but I think it would even be worse than that. The church at Corinth was very carnal. It was very sensual and uh, completely was completely affected by the culture and world around it. And so Paul is constantly dealing with problems in the Corinth church through the entire book. And what happened was many of the people kept their old lifestyle. They, they kept living the way that they had grown up in their culture. They kept living that lifestyle even after they had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul points out the immorality in the church, and he says this is even worse than the Gentiles, the people who didn't even grow up with the Jewish faith. He said what's happening here is even worse than the Gentiles. You'll see that in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And in a lot of ways, it sounds a lot like the lives of many churchgoers in America today. And honestly, uh, probably all of us, really all of us, because we all are affected by the culture uh, in which we live around us. But going a little deeper, just to kind of describe this culture a little bit more, in Roman times, Corinth was a city of great wealth. Um, It was a city of of great luxury and self-indulgence and immorality. It was a city of bestiality. If you don't know what that is, talk to your neighbor. Um, corruption, um, perversion, and wickedness. It was, it was that kind of a culture that Paul was planting a church in. Corinth was a center, center of commerce and business, and, and there was just no lack of sin and indulgence. There was excessive drinking, and drunkenness was just a normal thing in Corinth. False worship was happening. People, that, was just, that was just running rampant in the culture in Corinth. They even had the temple of Apollo there, and many people were devoted to the worship of Poseidon. Who's Poseidon? The god of the sea. Yeah, it's a mythological god. They still worship. That was a real thing that they worshiped in that time. But their greatest devotion was given to Aphrodite, or Aphrodites, right? The goddess of love. And her temple, the temple of Aphrodites, had over a thousand temple prostitutes, and, you know, and all the things that would be associated with having a thousand prostitutes in your temple. So this is a family-friendly service, so you can just imagine that. Just don't, don't imagine it too much, you know. And so that was the culture. I mean, that was, what, that was what Paul was dealing with. So if you think about our culture now, and I hear sometimes, and I say this sometimes too, oh, our culture is so bad, and we have so many challenges, I know. This is bad. Corinth was bad. And so the apostle Paul had his work cut out for him. And he was trying to help 
those people who were in that culture and living in that culture who had committed their lives to Christ uh, not to be consumed with the culture around them, but to help them see what God's plan was for what true love is and how to live in Christian community in the proper way. And I think... I think it's a really good reminder for us when we look at these passages and we even think about our own culture to think about the things in our current culture and what things are we following in our current culture that are contradictive to God's word. And it's not that, and we say this a lot, it's not that God sets these, this path for us because he's a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want us to enjoy life. No, it's actually the opposite. Of that. He actually puts these things in place for us to live out his plan for our benefit and so uh, i think it's a good reminder for us to think about what are the things that are we just following after in our current culture that we think that are the ways of man are right you know and we're not really following after the words of of god and how god's plan is for our life so i think it's really important for us to kind of take that into consideration but even in today uh love even or even in their day love is still hard to define even with these different words of love love is hard to define and so paul writes this down in sort of a description of what agape love is like. He said, agape love is like this. If I speak in the tongues of men, languages of men, so if I, if I could speak multiple languages like some of you guys, you know, um, if I could speak all the languages, every language, if I could even speak in the tongues of angels, if I could even speak angelic language, but don't have agape, don't have love, I'm just making noise. I'm just a resounding gong, he says, or a clanging cymbal, just making noise. If I can tell the future, if I can see everything that's going to happen in the future, if I have the gift of prophecy, and if I could understand all the mysteries even of God, and if I had more knowledge than Einstein, he doesn't write that, but I was just thinking that if I had the gift of prophecy and could fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have enough faith that can literally move this mountain, we don't have mountains in Florida except for the the dump, you know, but if I could move this mountain with my faith to this mountain over here, but I don't have love, you know, it doesn't mean anything. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess, like Mother Teresa, to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And so now Paul then goes into a description then. So he kind of lays this out. Then he goes into a description. This is what love is like. This is, this is what it looks like. This is how it acts. This is how it lives in us. You know, love is a verb. Now, before we get to the text, you, I'm sure you've probably heard this. Even if you're not really a student of the Bible, you've probably heard this text before or seen this text before. Uh, it's almost read in every single wedding that I have performed before and probably every wedding that you've been to before. It's called the love chapter. We often think that this is the love uh, that is between a husband and a wife, and it is, but it's more than that. Paul's actually writing this for the way for you and I and the whole community and the body of Christ to live and to love in community with one another. This is agape love that we should strive for at our church and for all Christians around the world. Here it is. I love this. You could probably quote it, a lot of you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Agape doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I think I did this a couple years ago, but I thought this is a good exercise for us because it really kind of brings out some self-awareness in our lives and in the shortcomings of our um, own life. So what I want to do, this is kind of an interactive thing with all of us. It's going to be messy. Uh, Let's go to the next slide here. Everywhere that there is a line, uh, and I want you to read this out loud, everywhere where there's a line, we're going to replace the word love uh, or in reference to love with your name, okay? So you say, (laughs) right? So we're going to say this out loud together. We're going to read it all out loud, and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. But we're going to, you know, I'm saying Mitch is patient. Mitch is kind. Ugh. It's going to be painful for us, okay? Here we go. You ready? Now, you say your word. Read it out loud. Be bold with it. Here we go. Patient. Mitch is not self-seeking. Here we go. I think some of you didn't get it because I heard a whole lot of Mitches, you know. I think you missed it. I think you were saying, I heard a bunch of Mitch is not patient, Mitch is not kind. <laughs> Boy, when you read it out loud and you say your word in there when you're na- with your name in there, doesn't it just kind of bring out a, oh, you know, like, I need to work on that. I need to be more loving that way. I just wonder, what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us individually? What does that look like for us as a church? Imagine... Imagine if we were to love our spouses with this kind of love. If we were to love each other with that kind of love. If we were to love our spouses. You know, I thought about this. I thought if you're having marriage problems, if you're having some marriage issues, maybe you're feeling like, you know, I've been falling out of love. I don't, that's a feeling. That's an emotion. That's not agape love. I've been, been struggling with this. I wonder what would happen if you and your spouse If you read this passage of Scripture every day with each other, if you read this and kind of focused on it every day, maybe even put your name in there, and and what if you read this every day for 30 days? I just want to, I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen. I've never done that before, but I want to give you that challenge. If you're struggling in your marriage, I want to encourage you to read this passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Read it every day to each other and pray together afterwards. See, after 30 days, what would happen in your marriage. And then come back and tell me. Come back and tell me. What does it look like? What does it look like for our church? What does it look like for our church to love each other that way, to be more concerned about others than we are ourselves? to be in self-denial but giving and loving to others, to be more concerned about the lost. It's a sacrificial kind of love where we're more interested in loving others and putting aside our own selfish desires. I call this the milk story. I've told this story before, uh, maybe not here, but about 20 years ago, 
We used to, in our cafe area, we used to serve um, the, the dispensers that put cereal in a bowl, and then we had milk. And it just got to be, as the church grew, you know, so hundreds of people and hundreds of people, it just got really expensive. And so we pulled the milk, you know, out of the menu. You know, whoa. You would have thought, you would have thought. It was just the craziest thing. But I had this lady come up to me, and she said, if you don't bring the milk back, I'm going to be leaving the church. And I said, well, I, I think that's a good idea. And she said, to bring the milk back? I said, no, for you to find another church. I did. I said it. She said, I can't believe you would say that. I said, I can't believe you would be that self-centered. You know, I, I said, this is, if you're going to be that twisted over milk, you're going to get really twisted over stuff that cares, that matters. You know, and I probably could have handled that differently. And, and <laughs> um, yeah, I think she left the church. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I was just thinking about that. As we grow as a church, it's important for us to really focus on this unconditional love. No matter where you come from in your life and what kind of mistakes you've made and where you're at on this journey, it's not agape love when we're self-righteous. We need to be accepting and loving to every single person and then showing them the kind of love that God has for us. As we grow as a church, I think it's going to be really important for us to develop that. And Paul sort of wraps up, skips on down, skip on down here to verse 13. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But if I put it in this series context, I say, but the greatest ingredient of all is love. So love, agape love, is the final ingredient to the not-so-secret sauce in order to live a more productive, full life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Father, I'm a long way from loving with the agape love and unconditional love that you love for each one of us in this room. And I just pray, God, that you will help us see that kind of love more and more through your son, Jesus Christ. And I've been praying this for a while, and I hope you'll pray this with me, church, that will you help me love Jesus the way, God, that you love Jesus? Will you help me love Jesus the way that you love Jesus? And will you help me love my wife the way that you love my wife? I'm a long way from that. And then will you help me love my kids the way that you love my kids? Will you help me love my grandkids the way that you love my grandkids? Will you help me love my neighbors? You know my neighbors, God. Will you help me love my neighbors the way that you love my neighbors? Will you help me to love everyone in this church the way that you love everyone in this church? And God, for those people that I have something against in my life that I would classify as enemies, wherever they are around the world, would you help me to love them with the way that you love them? In Jesus' name, amen.